tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. Now, if you decide that you will have a question or have a question or comment, 
you simply hit the number one on your keypad, and that allows our engineer uh, to let us know that you want to come on the air. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to do any of that, but we'll get you on the air by signifying or by uh, announcing your last four digits of your phone number tonight. So once again, we're glad that we're here tonight with Hope and Healing and Dirty to Wholeness, this special Thursday evening edition. Once again, I'm coming to you live all the way from the great uh, state of California. I am in San Diego, California here, and uh, we're so glad to be with you on tonight. Now, one of the things I want to say on tonight that has been so uh, important in the work that we're doing is because of the fact we continue to see things happen around our society. And for those of you that, once again, that are joining us for the first time, I want you to know that we try to inform in every way that we can. Those of you that are following us on Facebook, you can find us on Facebook, uh, our Facebook page, Domestic Balance. It is your business. You can find us there. As well as we have another Facebook page that really uh, speaks to the peace, the tranquility, the testimony, and the inspirational page. That is Destiny by Choice, Roman numeral 2, Fellowship. That is where you can find us doing some tremendous thing there. It is an open group, a drama-free social, uh, social network group. That is filled with testimonials, praises to God, songs, inspiration. You can find it happening there. And then I want to also call your attention to Harlem World. Harlem World is a special event uh, type of website and a uh, Facebook page, I should say. And that is, of course, uh, being uh, designed and manned by none other than Indy Harlem too. And I want to give a shout out to Indy, who always makes this happen. I want to give a shout out this afternoon to the president and CEO of the Soul of America Radio Network, Mr. Tony Stalin, as well. Well, listen, folks, I'm excited because we have a great show on tonight, and we have uh, not only a great show, but I have a great uh, uh, guest, and I have a great co-host. And so I'm going to get this going, and I want to welcome to the show right now uh, 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 our co-host tonight. This is my friend, my colleague, uh, who have done work with me inside of Domestic Violence. She's doing work with me inside of the work with not only Destiny by Choice, but the African-American Domestic Peace Project of West Palm Beach. And so I want to welcome her this uh, afternoon with me. Uh, let's give a great Hope and Healing Soul of America Radio Network welcome to Dr. Annette Dexter. Come on, let's give it up. Whoa, thank Dr. you so much, Thank you. <laughs> Well, it's great to have you on, and uh, we're in two different places this time, but uh, nevertheless, I know that you're holding the fort down, and uh, I'm so glad to have you uh, to co-host this with me. Oftentimes, we do co-host the uh, the It Back uh, radio uh, broadcast there with the African-American Domestic Peace Project, but we get a chance to co-host tonight with the uh, with the Hope and Healing Journey to Wholeness broadcast tonight. And for those of you that don't know Dr. Douglas, Dr. Douglas uh, is a tremendous individual. She's a behavior, she's a behavioral scientist. She has dealt with the issues of domestic violence and so many aspects of trauma and things for a number of years. And uh, she's authored many things inside of contributing authors and writing to uh, uh, to this issue. And um, uh, Dr. Douglas and I have had the opportunity to work together to do some training together, both inside of the faith community and, and other places, and uh, we're excited about some things. And uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Douglas and which folks, you're going to hear me call her Dr. D, because that's our short way of dealing with this. So it's Dr. D and Pastor T, and that's what we uh, we generally roll like that. But uh, Dr. D, uh, you know, when you contacted me the other week and we were talking about some things there and the whole situation that has happened around the country, uh, a week ago we, we celebrated, the, if you would, at least commemorated the one-year anniversary of what happened in Ferguson. And we do know that even after those things happened, 
uh, their wedding anniversary happened. We had some uh, peaceful commemoration. Then things got chaotic there for a second. And, uh, and you were talking to me, and you, you mentioned to me about a very distinguished gentleman who uh, who has a life, uh, a career in law, in law enforcement, uh, who's now retired. He's had an opportunity to be a part of some very interesting things himself. And so uh, you you reached out to him, and I'm so glad you did. And I, I want you to just uh, have an opportunity to introduce uh, our distinguished guests to our radio audience tonight. Well, thank you so much, because it gives me great pleasure to be here tonight and to talk to people around the world about what's happening and how important it is that we have this open discussion. But as we were talking, as you know, Pastor T, we we were talking about other broadcasts and talking about what's happening today and what could happen in the future if we don't help to educate and make people aware of what's going on. And I thought about someone who's been a great friend to me over the years, and I'm so happy to know him and his wife, his family. He uh, has retired not long ago as the deputy chief of police in Prince George's County, Maryland. And then some people may say, well, where is that? Is that a small place? That's a big place. It's a big place. Absolutely. And it's a county, county a suburb of Washington, D.C. So I'd like to introduce um uh, Chief Deputy Michael Blow. Um, Mike has um, commanded more than 1,100 officers and other police officials, and he has actually has a, his, his strategies bringing a reduction of more than 40% in the crime rate. Uh, Mike has wow. he's worked with the with the Houston Strategic Management and the Patrol District Commander. He's the Commander of Office of Intelligence and Protective Services. He's also been a police academy instructor. Now, as you know, after retirement, it doesn't just stop there in the salary position. It continues because you gave a key word when you were speaking of um, of Chief Deputy Blow. You said life. You may have been a slip of the tongue, but it is a part of his whole life, his life after retirement as well. And some of the incidents that have been going on with the street violence, um, what they call in these crimes, especially the one that started in Sanford, Florida with uh, Trayvon Martin. And that's when that yes. Black Lives Matter piece became a part when George Zimmerman encountered and fatally you know, shot Trayvon Martin. And then we've seen so many other incidents. These incidents have been going on nationwide for years, for years. But now we have a new generation that says that we're not going to let this happen or continue to happen. We're going to bring more sight to it. So um, I was talking to to, uh, uh, Chief Flo about it, and he said, hey, he said, you know, he said, after retirement, you talk about retirement. He said, I can't. He said, currently, I'm actually working as consultant to the nation's police command in what's going on in these continuing uprisings in the black community. He said, I'm actually talking with people in in Baltimore, in in uh, in Missouri. He said, in fact, with the the church burnings and the church shootings that have been going on in South Carolina, he said, I'm working on projects and programs to talk to churches nationwide about their security measures, how to recognize those that are coming into the services that may not be there for the services that we project. 
Um, so he said, I'm actually building security systems for the schools. Prince George's County, Maryland has accepted a high-esteem security system where it can be monitored throughout and also to, to measure the performance of what's going on in our social justice system. And so he said, you know, he said, and I'm upset and I'm annoyed by folks saying that it's police brutality. He said, in, in some cases it is. But I can talk about why it may seem to be and why it may be. He said, and I'm upset and annoyed to see black folks being discriminated as though they're the only ones with the issues. He said, because it works across the board. It's not just black folks. It's, it works across the board. It's an intermingle. So with great pleasure, i like to bring on board for everyone to get to hear him speak as he's spoken to me, and that is Chief Deputy Retired Michael Blow. Let's give him a hand. Come on. Well, thank you so much for that introduction, and uh, I was hearing all those wonderful things. I was wondering who you were talking about. And, uh, <laughs> I just really appreciate it, and I'm very excited to be here this evening, and uh, just look forward to having a great evening of some very productive and, and candid dialogue, and, and just kind of discussing the issues because there are a lot of issues, and uh, and as uh, Dr. Douglas said, there there's so many opportunities out of the the tragedies and, and other serious incidents that we've seen over the last couple of months and years for for the entire community to engage and 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 undertake some activities that will bring about some positive changes, not only in law enforcement, but in the in the greater community as well. So uh, I think out of the tragedies that what we've seen and, and some of the other incidents, I think this is also a great time for for the entire community to, to engage and become involved in, in just making sure that as we move forward, uh, things get a lot better. Absolutely. You know, Chief, you've had a long, distinguished career inside of law enforcement. I mean, the fact that you were uh, deputy chief uh, there in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is, you know, there around the nation capital, and you've had you've had an opportunity uh, to deal with issues in, uh, in in that community, but uh, but a lot of those issues there that happened there was, uh, you know, they rose to national uh, levels and attention, and. Uh, you had an opportunity to be a part of that, and it is through, you know, and the things I've read about you and everything, uh, that uh, you have always kind of been more or less a, a strategist in a, in a sense of the fact that, uh, and I heard it even with, with what you just said, that how we, we take tragedies and we learn from those tragedies and how do we do things to uh, to address those things that don't happen. And you've had an opportunity. I mean, you've experienced a lot over your uh, uh, distinguished career, and you have gone back to the drawing board each time, thinking about special training protocols and things like that to be able to strengthen communities, strengthen law enforcement training, strengthen relationships, and, and, and inside of that. Uh, one of the noted things that you were you were actually there in Prince George's County during the 90s when uh, we dealt with the whole D.C. sniper uh, incident and, and so many things that have happened since then. So my, my question to you is that, you know, over your over your distinguished career, you, you've seen, I mean, it from every factor. And my question is the fact, in what way do you feel that, that we have evolved as a society when it comes to addressing 
whether it's crime uh, in the nature of uh, what we saw with the BC sniper, a crime that we're seeing happen now where it's seen to be a uh, proliferation, at least if not a proliferation, uh, uh, definitely we're beginning to see a lot of different maladies that are, uh, that are addressing the people of color. We're seeing communities uh, seemingly, uh, you know, uh, under siege at times. And so, so my question is: In what way have you seen things change, and uh, and how would you say that we must go about in uh, really taking some well, new innovative steps in addressing things? Sure. Well, I think over the years there is more of a, an accountability mechanism now, and as most agencies go about doing their business, uh, I think that mm-hmm. many years ago, decades ago you didn't have the same level of information and expectations in terms of performance and and responses and interaction that you do today. Uh, for example, many agencies will just use the ComStep process, for example. That's a process for your listeners that aren't aware. That's a process that many agencies have where either on a weekly or daily basis, commanders come in and they kind of talk about what, those areas look like that they're responsible for. And it used to be that the the main focus was on X's and O's, the term that I like to use. And that is, how many bad guys did you arrest? How many warrants did you serve? How many traffic stops were you, were you a part of? And, and those types of things. Well, now mm-hmm. the emphasis is on, on what type of engagement is going on in the community. Um, how many young people have you engaged? Do you have an explorers post? Uh, what are your civic associations saying to you? What, what, tell me about the informal leaders in your communities and, and those types of things. And so now the expectation is if you're going to lead an agency that you not only not have to be aware of the, the technical things an officer and an agency must do, such as, you know, narcotics and and vice and those types of things that we see on television. But you have to know the pulse of the community. You have to be aware of this section of my district is an area where we're dealing with some socioeconomic issues. This section of my district is more affluent, so they have the ability to do a few more things and, and engage in a few different areas that we can't do over on the west side of town. And you have to be able to not only know these things, but you have to be able to engage both groups of of people and also be able to foster some cooperation across those groups of people in order to be successful at keeping that community safe. Because I think everyone realizes now that as opposed to the, the 60s and the 70s, you cannot have a successful law enforcement agency without the partnerships of the various community components, whether it's the schools, the civic groups, the pastors, the business leaders, you have to absolutely engage every aspect of your of your community if you want to have a successful um, strategy to keep that community safe. And I think that's the one thing that has really resonated over the last 10 to 20 years. I mean, even when you look at uh, Ferguson and, and other things, you notice after they've talked about this incident happened that has upset the community or that has upset the, the department and so forth, the second thing that trails very closely is the community is saying that 
either the agency has not been engaged or the agency has been engaged, but we need to do a better job. And so I'm glad to see that now that is the standard that, you know, community engagement is not just a buzzword, but it is actually a business practice now. And I think that's the most exciting thing that I've seen in law enforcement, you know, toward the end of my career especially. I'm sorry. I Go right ahead, say that um, you mentioned a couple of key words there when you said that um, it's a lot of it regarding socioeconomic issues and how it can come forward. And uh, Pastor T and I are dealing quite a bit with domestic violence, and we see it as one of the number one killers in this context, not just men and women, but people of, of same gender as well as children. And, I, and, and as many of you listeners have heard me speak before, I'm very high up on what's happening to our children. And, and I'm looking at this whole situation. We've all been children at some point or another. We're adults now. But what happens with the street violence? And, and then, um, Chief Flo, you said the partnership of the community components uh, so what's happening in the schools? What's happening in the home? Um, and and that that domestic violence, how it penetrates and results into street violence, uh, that which caused the need to have the type of police patrols available because what is happening in the institutions before people become adults or as they're developing and growing is a result of what's happening in street violence. And then I also think about it's not just the people who are committing the crime, but the officers themselves who are responsible for com communicating and working in the community try to not have this as a result, but how it affects them personally. So when I counsel, I'm counseling not only the victims and the abusers, I'm also counseling the uh, officials the the institutional officials such as police officers who have to come back and take it home with them. It, it just doesn't mean I'm going to stop this violence and I go home and have a good night's sleep. No, it doesn't end there. So I'm I'm saying like for you, Pastor T, is and you you look at it too. When we counsel, say even our faith leaders, and and our faith leaders here, we they hear about how somebody's son has gone to jail for doing whatever. But where did that somebody's son come from? What type of home environment did he come from? There is not one person I can believe in this world that can say they have never encountered either themselves or as a third party or knowing of someone that has been in this type of violent relationship in the home and then how it affects people as they go about lives later. Sure. Well, that's, that's – oh, I'm sorry. No, go right ahead. Oh, well, you, you asked a, a, a very involved question, and um, you hit some really interesting points. And I'll just start with the, with the domestic violence piece. Um, you, you, as we all know, that the pathways into deviant behavior and gang behavior uh, often comes from when you're lacking esteem, uh, there are issues in the home, 
scholastic achievement. You know, it's just a, a laundry list of, of things that go on that, that sort of create the perfect storm for a, a young person or a, an adult to become involved in, in deviance. And so in domestic violence, I mean, that, that's just the perfect situation, especially if you are either a victim of it or you're seeing it day in and day out. Uh, for you to sort of become hardened to the realities of good behavior. So, for example, um, let, let's just go to the esteem issue. You know, we often associate domestic violence with, you know, mom beat, dad beating mom or mom beating dad or partner on partner. But you, one thing that you touched on, you also have situations where the dad is coming home or the mom is coming home and they're beating the you-know-what out, out of the youngsters in the home. So... And, and it, often it's for things that are very minute. You know, why isn't dinner ready? Uh, why, is the, why is the back door open? Who, why didn't you feed the dog? And so when those folks that are the victims of that type of, of unacceptable behavior, when, when you start to, to daily, when that daily thing happens where, you know, every time there's a problem in the house, someone gets beat. So now you start to think, well, that is the way that I resolve conflicts. So when there is a conflict out in the street and someone disagrees with me or, or I, I like the Baltimore Ravens and you like the Dallas Cowboys because you don't agree with me, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Or <laughs> if you happen to bump into me in the store in the, in the Kool-Aid aisle and, and you didn't say excuse me fast enough, then I'm going to pull out a gun and shoot you. And so you sort of become immune to the fact that there are other ways to deal with conflicts other than abusive language and abusive behavior. You know, and, and for example, uh, I know the, um, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, um, they, they did a study a while back. They were saying like 63% of the kids exposed to domestic violence have a sleep disorder. Well, guess what? If you're not sleeping at night, how are you going to perform in school? So now you've been up all night. You didn't get to bed until 5 o'clock in the morning because you were hiding from somebody that wanted to beat you or you were hiding because Dad just beat Mom. You didn't want him to come in and beat you. You have to be on the bus stop at 6 o'clock in the morning. You have a test at 8 o'clock in the morning. And so that's a recipe for disaster. So now that young person is not achieving in school. He or she feels that he's not loved at home. Well, guess what? The, the Mike Blow gang, right across the street, we say, hey, Annette, you're not loved, you're not appreciated at home, but we love you, we appreciate you. Why don't you come run with our gang? We'll protect you, nobody else will beat on you, and we'll make sure that you do well in this particular neighborhood. And so now you have gravitated uh, towards gang activity because of what's going on in the household. So domestic violence is clearly a gateway into some really nasty behavior. And, and how often have we, have we witnessed on television where uh, people have been arrested for certain heinous types of crime, and one of the key things that comes out was I was abused in my home or I witnessed my Absolutely. mother, you know, day in and day out. So I yeah. thought that that's the way you do things. So as I grew up, I didn't have any problems pulling out a gun and, and snatching a, uh, an old lady's purse. Or, or something of that nature. So uh, domestic violence is, is certainly something that needs to be 
addressed constantly. Uh, we need to make sure that there are plenty of opportunities uh, for education, that there are plenty of resources available uh, for people, families, individuals uh, to, to be exposed to, and anything that can be done, either by law enforcement or the various support groups or the various government agencies that can help reduce these issues uh, needs to be done because it's clearly a, a very dangerous situation. Uh, you also spoke about officers when they see things and taking it home. Well, I can tell you that that is a definite phenomenon. Um, I've, I certainly saw a lot of things throughout my career, and sometimes I find myself thinking about those things or, or sharing those experiences uh, with family members, and I know uh, Dr. Douglas, you and I have talked about a few things, and, and sometimes they, they stick in the back of your mind. And sometimes officers uh, have a way of coping with those things, and sometimes the way they cope might not be appropriate to the outside world, but they don't necessarily understand. Sometimes those officers are not trying to be callous. They're really saying, you know what, this is more than I can deal with right now, and I need to just say something to sort of bring myself down so that I can, you know, I can keep that image up and I can hold it together until I can get somewhere to really decompress. Um, you know, you've, I've heard officers make comments at, at uh, homicide scenes and, and other things that, you know, if, if they were uh, overheard by the general public, they might be troubled by those comments, but you understand that 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 guy or girl is really trying to cope with the fact that, wow, we've got seven bodies in this room, three of these bodies are under four years of age, and that body over there looks just like my nephew, you know? Uh, that's, so that's so what you're saying, that's a human element that is there and, and that that the incident of violence that they may see, whether a homicide, homicide, suicide, or whatever fatality it is, that even those officers are impacted by that, that trauma. So that they are also impacted by it, although they have a job to do, it does not, it does not uh, uh, eliminate the human, the human uh, 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 capacity of who they are. And oftentimes they're trying to perform that job up sure. under those real-time experiences. Certainly, and, and I I can tell you, um, I've been on the scene of things and and had officers literally standing there in tears. You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, brace and, and project the image, but you can just see the tears sort of seeping down. And, and some of these scenes can be very, very, um, they can be very uh, uh, horrific. And they, they, you know, when you see things, especially when it involves young people, I can tell you there have been many times where I've come home and just, I said, I know it's 2 o'clock in the morning, told my wife, but i got to wake the girls up and just give them a hug because, I, you know, I just have, I, they just need to know that they're loved and appreciated. And, you know, and that was my way of coping sometimes, depending on what I saw. So you, you're absolutely right, uh, Dr. Douglas. It, it, is, a, it is a job that, that it, it can be very gratifying um, it can be very rewarding, but at the same time, uh, when you see human suffering and you have any type of, of love for mankind, which, which most public servants should have, uh, you know, it does get to you. 
And and anyone that says that it doesn't, uh, that's probably somebody that, that doesn't need to be in the business. Absolutely. Well, let me do this real quick because uh, we're getting ready to go to commercial break. For those of you that are listening, you're listening to Hope and Healing, The Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Ficklin, and we're glad to have you join us tonight on this radio show. We have tonight with us our special guest host and our colleague, Dr. Nett Douglas, and our special guest tonight is uh, former Deputy uh, Chief uh, Michael Blow, who has been sharing some insight with us. We've talked a little bit about the incidents there of not only crime and uh, incident, uh, things that are happening around our country. We're talking about even the different uh, the ways of where we're going inside of law enforcement, but even more particularly, we talked about uh, some of the things that we've seen happen in Ferguson and Baltimore and other things. But, but right now we're talking about how that impact of even these ills such as domestic violence, how those things uh how those things are transferable, how those things are impacting us beyond just what we see. And uh, I want you to, that are listening to that tonight, if you'd like to call in to have a question, area code 323-784-9638, area code 323-784-9638. That's how you reach us if you have a question and a comment. Just hit the, hit the number one on your keypad that lets our producer know that you want to come on the air and we'll get you on the air. And we're going to be right back after this commercial break. You listen to Open Healing and Journey Wholeness. We'll be right back. Is the soul of America Radio. Thank you for listening to J.R. Thickland, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. We feature every Monday night a show solely devoted to people that are going through abuse. Some type of problem in your lives that you can't work out. We mainly focus on domestic violence, the cancer in our lives. Join J.R. Thicklin, your host, here every Monday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock p.m. Central, right here on the Soul of America Radio. You can contact Jay every Monday night at 323-784-9638. Or you can listen to him online. Just follow at soulofamericaradio.com and listen for look for live streams. And that way you can speak or listen, whichever your choice may be. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin, on the Soul of America Radio. If you're listening via Internet and you want to speak to the host, Please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. Here's your host, J.R. Thicklin.
Arena Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thickland, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight right here on the Soul of America Radio Network. From coast to coast, you can find us here normally every Monday night at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, but tonight is a special edition of Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This Thursday night, we're here with a special edition. I'm broadcasting to you live all the way from San Diego, California, and so glad to be with you on today uh, as we're talking about some very important issues here. For those of you that are listening on the line, you desire to have a question and a comment, uh, please feel free to hit the number one on your keypad. Hit it. You don't have to give your name, but once you hit the number one, it lets our producer know that you want to come on the air and you have a question or comment. We'll get you there uh, immediately. You have with us tonight, once again, our co-host, Dr. Annette Douglas, behavior scientist and colleague and friend of mine, which you also have on the air tonight. You have uh, retired Deputy Chief Michael Blow, and uh, we were talking about some great things before we uh, went on the commercial break, and I'd like to go back into it as we were talking about uh, how transferable these issues are when it comes to issues of domestic violence and other tragic tragedies that perhaps law enforcement deal with, and uh, they actually see, if you would, a lot of times it's out of street violence and community violence, uh, that we see the correlation between the uh, uh, this as being the outpouring from what have oftentimes happened in the home. So I'm back with uh, Chief uh, Blow as well as Dr. Douglas. Continue. Great. Um, you know, I had a question. Well, actually, what I was thinking about was what happened in Texas a few days ago when that young man, they showed the video, the young man, he was trying to break into a car, and then uh, the video caught him actually committing a crime, and then two police officers came on the scene. Now, one police officer tasered him, and I guess the, he had a hard time getting the young man to come into control, the other police officer pulled his gun and actually shot several times in different parts of this young man's body. I mean, he just, you know, Deputy Chief Deputy, can you respond to that? What happened? Did he lose it? Did he lose his cool and he just shot that boy like that? Or was he well-trained? Did he, did, was, what was his element all about? Well, you know, that, again, that was a another very tragic situation, and I believe that that uh, officer has now been terminated by that department um, oh. after the, the chief, um, you know, because he was a probationary officer, uh, the chief was not, uh, at least this is based on the available information that's being put in the press, uh, the chief was not pleased with his decision-making. And, oh. uh, and, and, and clearly in that situation uh, where you've got a crime in progress, and you've got uh, one officer that has assessed what's going on and has decided to use uh, less lethal technology. And what that means is that is technology that is available that is designed to stop a person from doing something bad, um, but it, it normally should not create uh, a permanent injury to that person if you deploy it. That's like your taser, your, your OC spray, and those types of things. Um, the mm -hmm. officer deployed the uh, the taser, and uh, I, I can only assume uh, that the the other officer that fired thought that since this gentleman was struggling and was not really being impacted by the taser, he felt the need to uh, to deploy his firearm. And uh, again, you know, this, this gets right back to uh, training and perception and, and those types of things. You know, um, it's not uncommon it, it's tragic, but it's not uncommon that 
you and I, for example, the three of us could be on the scene of a situation, and you and and um, Jr. could assess it and determine, you know, this guy is is not really uh, a threat. This is just a guy blowing off steam, and we just we're just gonna let him blow off steam. Where my perception is, you know, oh my goodness, we gotta we gotta jump on him right now, put some cuffs on him, and and get him right down to the station and so forth. And so, you know, this just gets right back to a, a couple of things: um, the hiring process, um, looking for those those character traits that are going to provide you an individual that has good decision-making skills. Uh, once you get that person in the academy, uh, the training should be designed, um, and, and I'm not saying that their training is not designed. I'm just saying ideally your training should be designed that as another tool to assess your potential to handle stress. And then, of course, out when, once that individual has gone through all that training and assessment, uh, the hope is that I've spent in excess of thirty or forty thousand dollars training each officer in that class. That you're going to be able to make some good decisions. Um, in this situation, the chief looked this situation over and decided this young man did not make uh, a good decision. And uh, and I and I support that that decision by the chief. I think that was a a good decision to make. It's it's unfortunate that this type of of deficiency, if you will, surfaced at the cost of a human life. But uh, certainly they they appear to be doing everything in their power, number one, to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And they certainly separated this young man from the agency. But at the end of the day, that certainly does not reduce the harm that this incident has done, um, you know, emotionally, and, and socially, and so this this certainly is is a is a chief's nightmare that when an officer goes out, that he or she has all the equipment they need, they have all the training that they need, and that they're going to be prepared. Now, certainly the training doesn't prepare you for every conceivable situation you're going to run into, but you should have enough training and enough common sense and enough confidence, if you will, that even those situations that are not on paper and you didn't cover in the academy, that you are able to come up with some good responses to have the appropriate end to that situation. So, uh, again, just another very tragic situation, and it's a situation that is going to, it's going to challenge the, um, it's going to challenge the community's uh, confidence, but I think that you know, the chief taking swift action and also engaging the community, that should go a long way in terms of the long-term healing that's going to happen. And understand that when you have incidents of this magnitude, um, you don't have instant healing. It doesn't work like that. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm going to just jump back into Henderson real quick to make my point. Um, I'm watching the, the CNN specials a couple of weeks ago, and it's, you know, the one-year anniversary, and it's almost like, okay, it's been a year, everything should be good now. No, it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of interaction, and it takes a real commitment on, on everyone's behalf when you have these situations 
uh, to work through it, to make sure that you gather all of the facts of what occurred, not innuendos, you have facts, and that after the fact gathering has occurred and whatever court uh, interaction that's going to occur, that there is some dialogue throughout the process with the community so that they understand um, this is what we're doing. We understand that this is an issue of concern to you and to the agency, and we are taking every appropriate step to, number one, deal with the issue and to make sure that whatever we do in the future in terms of buying equipment, deploying equipment, training with certain types of equipment and other types of things, that this incident is the exception and not the norm. You know, it's so it's so obvious that many times, uh, you know, the general public doesn't see what's happening behind the scene when it comes to situations like this that law enforcement are involved in, and that you know, like like many things, we all learn. We learn how to do a better job based upon a set of situations, circumstances that have happened. We look at how can we do a better job inside of one thing or another, and. Uh, now, unfortunately, and, you know, and I, I, for those that may think that I'm being an apologist, I'm not being an apologist, I'm being a realist. In this case here, every profession makes adjustments. Every mm-hmm. profession make, an adjust, make adjustments when they get certain outcomes, and those outcomes actually inform uh, us inside of making those adjustments, whether or not we need to do a better job of prevention, training, whether we need to do a better job of uh, uh, whatever. Do we need better equipment, do we need more manpower, or whatever. And here's the thing about it. Law enforcement makes those adjustments, and, and, and oftentimes, and this happens so often because we will see a situation very similar to the young man there in Texas, and we see that situation happen. Now, all of our hearts go out to it. It's just that situation that goes on. And yet still, somehow or another, we, we forget about the elements that oftentimes may have informed the life of the individual who was obviously committing a crime. And Dr. Douglas, you said it earlier, that sometimes we, we act as if these individuals that commit crime, like they dropped in out, you know, out of a space, you know, out of a space museum somewhere. They came from out of space and all of a sudden they're, uh, you know, they, uh, they're raising their, uh, if you would, uh, havoc on our communities. But the reality is that they are coming from our homes. They're coming from our communities. They're coming and they're being impacted by their life situation. They're being impacted by whether there's uh, a void there that have made them in many ways sort of hopeless or helpless, or whether or not they are being informed by the aggression and uh, activities that are going around them. And so I, I said that to say this is the fact that many times, Chief, when we talk about domestic violence, people really look at domestic violence in one particular lens. And oftentimes they don't see the far-reaching impact of domestic violence. I often say that domestic violence is never an isolated incident. Domestic violence affects generations. Domestic violence literally impacts generations. It's a learned behavior. And if that's never properly dealt with or addressed, it becomes a perpetuation of this type of behavior, and it can happen for many generations. When we see domestic violence fatalities, when we see it happen, whether it be homicide or suicide, literally those things impact generations. You know, uh, the person is gone. You wiped out a whole generation. 
The voice of that individual is gone. There's a void there. Whether there's a mother that is gone, life is taken, a child now is left motherless, or whether there's, let's look at a different perspective because oftentimes we don't talk about this. Mm-hmm. The, the, the painful experience that perhaps a father may experience in his daughter being killed or severely injured due to domestic violence. But how much deeper does that pain go when that father himself may have also been the, that same type of person in his relationship with his significant other? You know, and that takes us right when we talked about Black Lives Matter. You know, and and its effect with domestic violence and street violence. And I'm also a promoter of education. I think bringing awareness and education. Um, um, Deputy Blow, uh, Pastor T, we've all been involved with educating because we know that making others aware of uh, where uh, these items, these issues, have come from, and where they stimulate, what the root of them are, and then to build strategies to help correct them. And so I noticed that there's um, Dartmouth College recently started a course in their school. It's called 10 Weeks, 10 Professors. And each of the professors come from different areas, uh, uh, anthropology, sociology, social sciences, et cetera. And they speak on topics that include um, gender studies. They talk about um, what what brings on what what can happen? What brings on black lives? They say black lives matter. They talk about national problems of inequality and race and violence, and they, they're building some history there. But they're teaching the students at the schools at that level so that they will understand that what their baggage they've carried over the years can result in good and not just first thought as violence. Um, there's also the the, as you know, we talk to so many people about making a change. A change in behavior takes education, and it means educating others. Now, I, I remember that, um, Deputy Blow, you have been and still are an enforcement expert, and you've um, talked with uh, and been expert to CNN, uh, the Situation Room with Wolf Blister, and I think also CNN's uh, 360 with Anderson Cooper. So I applaud you with that because it takes folks like you to come up and say, hey, not only am I a person of color, I'm educated, I'm there, I'm right in the field, I'm right in the middle of it, and and I can give you some pointers, I can work with you and help you to get out of it, I can work with you to help so that you don't get in it, you know, of these strange and, and reoccurring situations. Um, Pastor T, you all over the country, you know, talking about domestic violence, bringing awareness and training, training for people who have never been able to understand how not to become an abuser or a victim. Uh, and, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited because years ago that wasn't available. It wasn't available. But then what does that mean? And I ask the listeners, what does it mean when it says, Black Lives Matter. You know, what is that? You know, where did it come? We know where it came from, where it stimulated, but it don't isn't everyone that doesn't this impact everyone? Isn't everyone's life a part of our lives matter? You know, so that's what I'm wondering. 
What you know, that's a great like? question. That, that is a great question when we say that because, you know, it's become a, it, you know, it's become a national buzzword and phrase, Black Lives Matter. And on the surface, you know, we, we, we see what we think it means. You know, sure it matters. But in what way does it matter? And does it, does it matter beyond a T-shirt? Does it matter beyond us, you know, with, a, you know, with T-shirt and paraphernalia? But does it matter enough for inside of our own personal responsibility, inside our own education, inside of the fact of us understanding the consequences of our actions and whether those actions are the way that we raise our children or the uh, way that we deal with one another or whether those actions are our inactions, that which we fail to do. Because I do believe that oftentimes when we have failed to do certain things, when we have failed to do certain things, we will see it. We will also see the impact of that. I often quote uh, Frederick Douglass who said that it's easier to raise uh, strong children than it is to repair broken men. And so that points back to something that we have to all keep in mind, that when we begin to deal with uh, missed assignments, what do I mean by missed assignments? Assignments where we did not invest into the fact of how we displayed ourselves around our children, how did we raise them, how did we teach them, did they see tolerance amongst us, uh, did they see us as being people that were peacemakers, or did they actually see a chaotic lifestyle that was filled with not only uh, trauma but drama? And so all of those things matter when we start saying Black Lives Matter. Well, it does. But it also matters when we begin to live valued lived lives. And valued lived lives also mean that we have to look at, we have to look at the consequences of our actions or the consequences of our, or our inactions. Absolutely. You know, um, it, it almost reminds you of the um... – Black History Month celebration. Uh, when you when you look at the what you're seeing in the media in terms of what are the issues of the movement, and you have the month of February for Black History Month, when the history of of black people in America and in the world is 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 greater than just the shortest month of the year. And so, again, when you're looking at what is it that is driving the movement? And, of course, it came out of the, the perceptions and, unfortunately, some of the realities of, you know, the way that uh, people were interacting with law enforcement. But there are also so many other things that are impacting our community that, um, you know, that are not rising to the same level. For example, uh, Dr. Douglas talked about domestic violence. Now, the, in Houston, the Jackson family just buried eight people who were killed by the, uh, the mother's former boyfriend. He, he killed eight people in that family. And, uh, you know, a, a horrible incident. Um, you know, when you just look at, you know, just the things that are going on, and, for example, in, in Chicago, you've had, you know, in the – up to, I guess, about a week ago, 259 people shot, okay? Mm. 223 of them were African-American. About mm. 78, almost 80% of those folks were African-American that were shot by other African-Americans. If you look in, in, in D.C., I mean, in Baltimore, uh, about a week ago, 201 murders, 97 murders in D.C., 36 mm. murders in Prince George's County. So you're talking about you know, nearly, you know, um, 630-some-odd people that have been killed by people of their own race. 
Now, all of these people um, in, in Baltimore and D.C. and Prince George's were not all African-American, but the majority of them were. And so that is a matter of great concern. That matters, too. Uh, when we look at the, at the test scores from, from our kids, our kids are scoring 75% below the rest of the community on standardized tests. I mean, so if our kids are not achieving in school, how can they pass the very tests that will allow them to become police officers and firefighters and, and serve the communities that they grew up in? And so there's so many issues that we really need to look at, and I know we're not going to solve them all in a day because they weren't all created in a day. But if we're going to really look at this and, and really look at opportunities to improve the entire community, we really have to look at these issues closely, and we need to hold, just like uh, the movement is to hold law enforcement accountable, and, and I think every chief in the United States uh, gets it, and wants to be accountable, we have to hold others accountable outside of law enforcement. If there are members in our community who are, who are bent on harming members in the community, they have to be held accountable. If there are things going Absolutely. on that are keeping our youngsters from achieving in school, they have to be held accountable. If there are people who are beating up members of their household and raping them and other types of, of horrible things, they must be held accountable. You can't just hold one segment of the population accountable and say that this is the root of all evil. That's just not the way it is. You know, it's bigger than no, that. Chief, Chief, you're right. You said something that I thought was so important, and it goes back to the whole thing, you know, the whole movement, am my brother's keeper? And of course, we know that's from a biblical scripture there, you know, am I my brother's keeper? But the reality is, is that the fact, as much as we talk about it takes a village to raise a child, and that's what's, you know, been our mantra, especially in the community of color, well, it also takes a village to save one. It yes. takes that village, that, co that collective village there, to be a part of this, to make this work. It takes that collective village, and part of the main focus of that collective village is accountability. You know, one thing I want to do, we, we do have a caller, and I want to go ahead and get this caller on before we go to our next break. And so I want to take the caller, number ending in 0996, uh, 0996. Good evening, caller. You're on the air with Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. Welcome. Good evening, Pastor Thicklin. This is Dr. Sharon L. Ellis Davis. How are you? I'm doing great. So glad to have you on our show tonight. Yes. I am I am so full of questions for the Chief, so I'll try to narrow down, I guess, what I'm trying to um uh ask, especially in the um in light of the what does black lives uh, uh what you know, what is so important about the Black uh, Lives Matter movement. And my question was, you know, I have seen, I've heard since I've been listening since the beginning, a, a very good social analysis of, of domestic violence and how it happens in the home and what that can do in terms of how we act out in our community. Uh, but what I haven't heard, and, and I've heard that, you know, that, 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 that these things can impact. I, did, I haven't, didn't hear the socioeconomic issues that impact and how young people are living in trauma you know, from, from lack of educational resources and from lack of, of, of substance in their community. I didn't hear that. But even more important than that, I wanted to ask the chief uh, uh, if there's a social, uh, uh, a social history to uh, African Americans or, uh, uh, or anybody for that matter in terms of how they're, they're brought up and how that might impact how they act or how they become victims, then, then police officers, 
since I'm a retired one, didn't I grow out of the, didn't fall out of the sky either. They came with a history. They came with socioeconomic impacts. They came from abusive households. They came from uh, uh, houses that, that, that talked about race in negative ways. And so that can impact how officers act also. And so what I, I guess what I wanted to know in the midst of all of that from the chief is do we believe uh, 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 that racism and, and acts like that and, and, and people who have been exposed to, to negative, uh, uh, negative images of Certainly. Um, you know, the one thing that, that no matter how high tech we get, you have a human element involved. And because all of us are human, we all have flaws of some type. And, you know, police officers are no different. Uh, officers that have, that, that have grown up in households where there is, a, there is disrespect of the family, disrespect of women, disrespect of other races and cultures, certainly those types of, of attitudes will spill over. And that's why you heard me mention earlier about the background process. That's why it's so important that, that you have to be very careful on the front end of, of looking into the background very carefully of those who have the privilege of being able to become a police officer. And there are a battery of tests and other things that, um, that, that candidates go through that are supposed to weed those things out, and then if they don't um, catch those things, um, then there are other activities in the academy that are supposed to catch those things. But I, I'll, sit, I'll be the first to tell you, uh, the system's, of hiring and training are not perfect, or we wouldn't be having these discussions. So you're absolutely right. There are elements in everyone's past that certainly influence how you interact with people, and uh, that is one of the that is one of the elements of human behavior that you try to weed out, you try to um, train it out, if you will, and you try to do a lot of things to make sure that whoever is an officer serving a particular community is a person that has the mindset, I'm here to serve this community. I don't care what you look like, how much you make, and so on. Um, my job is to serve you. And we all know that that does not always happen. And so that is a continuing process of what is the best mechanism that we can put in place to root out those folks that are harboring attitudes and beliefs that have the potential to manifest themselves into behavior that is not only an embarrassment to that community, but also may create harm to a family or to another member of that department that's not repairable. So you're absolutely correct. And, mm -hmm. and so the Black Lives Matters movement uh, understands that historical and social context that have given rise to uh, uh, black bodies being harmed. And, and there is a perception, whether it's true, real, or imagined, uh, that that the policing is 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 part of that. Uh, that don't value black lives because of mass mass incarceration, the disproportionate number of African Americans, and so that's where the Black Lives Matter, because historically it has not mattered. Slavery proved that. Jim Crow proved that. And so when we say all lives matter, if all lives matter these things that are happening to black and brown people wouldn't be happening. And so specifically, yes, all lives matter, but we want black people's lives to matter also. And, and the way I explain it to people is domestic violence. When I teach domestic violence in, in, in seminary, 
someone is always willing to say to me, yes, but men get uh, battered also. And I say, Uh yes, and also men have breast cancer, but they're not the face of breast cancer. There's a social and historical context to to, 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 to violence against women, and we need to address that and not ignore that where we're coming up with solutions to ending violence. And that's how I feel about all of this, that we have to find solutions that, that connect also to the social and historical context that have given rise to some of this behavior. And you're absolutely right, Doc. And, and I equate what you're saying. You're absolutely right. And I equate what you're saying to you're being treated, you, you're, you're, you're constantly getting antibiotics for some type of infection, but in the meantime, you're ignoring all the other things that can lead up to you being sick. You're not eating yes. properly. You're not resting properly. And, and I, yes. I guess that's the, the point that I'm trying to say. Um, certainly, there, there is no question that there has been an historical uh, basis for those feelings in terms of, of how uh, people of color are being treated or have been treated uh, in the past and some of the incidents that we've seen on, on television and so forth. In light of that, also, there are some other issues that are equally as serious and equally as damaging to our ability to have futures for our, for our community. And, and I Absolutely. Think, and I think that this is the perfect example of we have got to be able to multitask and effectively address the issues that are impacting our community. There is, there's absolutely no excuse for poor police service. I'm not even going to try to, to make any excuses because there is no excuse. Um, and there's also no excuse. You know, there's, there's this one thing that just is troubling me right now. In Washington, D.C., and you may have heard this, a 17-year-old got into an argument with a 12-year-old, came back and shot the 12-year-old and killed his mother. There's oh. no, there is no excuse for that. We can't ignore that. Absolutely no wow. excuse for that type of behavior. And just like we, when we saw the incident in South Carolina when the officer shot that, that man in the back, that was totally unacceptable and that was horrible. And this, too, is another example of something that should have never happened and should outrage all of us. Are you kidding me? We're in an age now where a 17-year-old couldn't get along with a 12-year-old, shot him and killed his mother? That's that is just horrible, and so. And you know what's going to happen to them, Chief? They're going to go to jail. But yes. but but when there's the issue with police, that doesn't necessarily happen. And they what? have been sworn to protect, and that's and that's the oh. difference in the conversation. Well, but but ma'am, the, the thing I'm saying to you is is that we can't separate things that are impacting our community as one is more important than the other. They're all very. Oh, no. Cannot. Absolutely. And, and, and absolutely. Like said, there is no, there is absolutely no excuse for a person that has the privilege of serving our community abusing that authority. That person should be under the jail, locked up, and never be allowed to interact with society. Because you violated a whole lot of things, not just the law, but you have violated the trust of the community. A sacred trust. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank absolutely. you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Dr. Ellis was so on point in bringing that together. She was so on point because she's right. And and we're not saying that black lives are more important than other lives. We're just saying that it has come from a long way. It's like history of it. 
It's a history of it. And we, we really need to remain in active solidarity with all the oppressed people who are fighting for liberation and fighting for change. And that, that was you know, I, very much so. And we're going to take a break here in a second, but I want to just comment on that. I mean, definitely, uh, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Ellis, uh, another one of our colleagues here, uh, she brought forth a real good point, and it brings us to the question where we're saying, do we really know what that means? Because for some, it's the wearing of the T-shirt. For some, it is the outrage about what has happened and what has happened over a period of time, and definitely uh, seeing like the proliferation of this has continued to increase in, 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 in the most recent years. But when we understand the fact that we're dealing with some elements today that is seemingly boiling over more. But some of these elements have existed for such a long time. And therefore, because of those, because of that, you know, there are, uh, there are these movements that are happening. But we have to understand the context, the historical context of it, the social context of it, being able to uh, connect those dots. Because I think when we connect those dots in that way, it will inform, excuse me, it will inform the way that we address it. It will inform our reaction because justice and point. We know that evil prevails when good men and women remain silent. But we also know that 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 ignorance also contributes to chaos and confusion, even when it's well intended. So we have to be very careful about that as well. And I think that's been a very powerful dialogue. But we're going to take another break. What a powerful time that we're having here tonight. And after we take this break here, uh, we definitely invite you to call. Those of you that are waiting on the line and you have a question or comment for our guest or desire to share anything, you can just hit the number one on your keypad. Those of you that may be listening by way of the Internet, feel free even now to join us by calling in. Eric code 323 you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness, and we'll be right back after Internet, you're probably seeing a series of advertisements. Please click on those advertisements as they help us to continue to bring you the best in soulful talk radio. by choice to fellowship on Facebook is a spiritual, drama-free, judgment-free fellowship forum for like minds to share in encouragement through testimonies, scriptures, music, prayer, worship, and fellowship. It is our desire to be an oasis of hope in the midst of the deserts and wilderness of life's most challenging experiences. We welcome you for prayer requests as well as your testimonies as we collectively operate as thermostats changing life's experience through God's leading in His Word. 
Join us as we empower lives and shape destinies. That's Destiny by Choice 2 Fellowship on Facebook through a search you can find us. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the soul of America Radio. I am MD Harlem 2, and I am fighting the power on the soul of America Radio. Worldwide, coast to coast talk radio. This is the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Soar. And now back to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thickland. Glad that you're joining us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network, the special edition of Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness on this Thursday night. We've had very interesting dialogue here tonight with our very special guest, uh, co-host tonight, Dr. Annette uh, Douglas, a behavior science colleague and friend, have done work inside of domestic violence and, and a myriad of things for a number of years, as well as our special guest here tonight, former Deputy Chief uh, Chief Michael Blow, uh, there of Prince George's County. Uh, he's retired chief now, and we've had some very great interaction. Thanks so much for our colleague, Dr. Uh, uh, Sharon uh, Ellis Davis. She has done some tremendous work. She's authored quite a few things herself, both a retired uh, police officer as well as have done the work inside of domestic violence for a number of years uh, and, uh, and teaching seminary. I've co-wrote, co-written some things, and she's going to be our guest here real soon on the show. Uh, I want to get back to our conversation, but I'll tell you our boards are lit up and we have callers that are waiting to come on the air. So I'm going to get a caller number ending in 6267. Caller number ending in 6267. Welcome to Open the Journey to Holdness. You're on the air. Hi. I wanted to ask about how much does the media play into, I mean, I know that Michael Blow had mentioned the two teenagers in Washington, D.C., and everything that we hear is negative about, you know, not only people of color, but about the younger generation. And there's not a lot of publicity made about the positive things that are actually going on in our community. I think media drives a lot of what happens. Chief? Okay, We'll make sure I got Chief back on the airways there. Make sure he's there with us. Uh, let me make sure Chief is there, our engineer. Okay. All right. Okay, so Chief, go ahead. Right. You're on the air now. Yes, okay, go right very ahead. good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I think that that's been a conversation that many uh, chiefs in, in the area, I'm talking all over the country, have in terms of there are a lot of good things going on in the communities, a lot of good interaction. And when you invite, sometimes you invite the media to come to these things, it's like, yeah, we, we appreciate it. We might get a camera by. But when a body drops on the street, you, you can't even walk to the scene. There, there are trucks and satellite dishes everywhere. 
So absolutely, there are a lot of good things going on that certainly don't get the same level of publicity because as I've been explained, as, as I've gotten the explanation from my friends in the media, unfortunately that stuff doesn't sell newspapers and doesn't make ratings all the time. And, um, and again, that's why fortunately now with social media and other things, um, some of the good things that are going on are able to get out on YouTube and Twitter and, and out in the, in the technical universe um, as opposed to waiting on CBS or ABC to, to put it on the air or put it on the 7 o'clock news along with some of the other um, important world news, if you will, that, that's going on. Yeah, so, you're exactly right. Go, go right ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. But as far as for the doctor that's on the air as well, you know, when it comes to behaviors, um, I just think that as a community, we do not, especially as a black community, we do not do enough to force more of that positive image in the media because we also project a lot of the negative things as well. And there's a lot of campaigns, a lot of things that are put behind, um, the money is being put behind more of the negative things than it is the positive. And that drives behavior as well, as well as hatred towards, you know, uh, authority. Well, absolutely. I think that might have been addressed towards you, uh, uh, Dr. Douglas, and Salabat, and definitely uh, I'll let you comment on that before I, I interact there inside of it. Hold it. I think Dr. Douglas, is, are you there? Go right ahead, Doc. Yes. Um, can Can everyone hear me? I don't know if I yes. you wrong. Okay, I'm sorry. But, yes, they, it, especially when you speak about the media, one of the – I've noticed that – um, we don't see it in the major newspapers. We don't see it on the TV news when we talk about domestic violence until we get into Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and that's so unfortunate. You know, and we're leading up to that now. So I would say near the third week of September and leading into about the first week of November because that month is October, oh, the media is going to have it spread all over the place. It's, it's, people will be talking about it and interjecting at, at that point. And it's, it's like um, Chief Deputy Blow said, it's not just one month of black history, okay? It's not just one month for domestic violence. And we challenge, Pastor uh, T and I challenge the media often uh, about speaking on it constantly and, and continually. Um, the Department of Justice is now recognizing quite a bit with the Office of Violence Against Women, and they're putting forward uh, money to to challenge the media to bring the information out. Uh, in some stations like MNBC and Fox and, and uh, CNN, now they're bringing more of the social uh, media into what's going on uh, and talking about domestic violence. And just as much as we said, that's why I said Black Lives Matter and how does it interface with domestic violence. And, and yes, you're right about that. And more that takes for us is word of mouth to be our own media, to be our own, to speak, a, speak up. We speak up at school, at work, in church, you know, among our friends, We're sitting there having a good game of big whiff. Talk about it and talk about making a change and what each person intends to do about it. You know, I'd like to chime in on this just a little bit. And 
we have about 10 minutes left in the show, and I definitely want to get uh, the president uh, of to America Radio on in just a second, and I, I'm going to get Tony on in just a second. But I want to also, uh, as I heard our caller say there, one of the problems is, and I think you were right on it, she said that we as black people have to also hold one another accountable uh, for the images that are also put out there. And what do I mean by that? When we are seeing networks that are totally leaning toward reality, what we call reality TV, it sends a very com- conflicting message. When we see people that's supposed to be affluent black people acting like what we've always considered substandard behavior. It's just the wrong message. And I don't want to call out a show, but I have to, whether we're talking about Merit to Medicine, whether we're talking about Real Housewives of Atlanta, or we're talking about that. And I think when we see those type things that are put out there, we're supposed to be talking about people that are, you know, that, that, that really supposed to have a standard, it sends a very confusing message. Because what it actually says is that no matter where you achieve, no matter how much you achieve, fame, wealth, or education, or whatever, we still lack a fool. And I don't think that is really represent, that's not really a true representation of the masses of us, but yet it's still when we see those type messages perpetuated on television and they become part of, uh, you know, driving ratings. And driving ratings, you, you see that almost every other month there's another reality show that is at least being given a shot. And most of the times it does not speak anything to positive advancement, empowerment, uh, you know, economic empowerment in any way, it generally speaks to us as negative behavior, buffoonery, or greed, or whatever it takes to call self-destruction. And so I so agree with the caller. We've got to do a whole lot more to change that. And that's what we're trying to do even inside of this show. And having said that, I definitely want to bring on, because uh, I see you there, uh, the president of uh, Solar America Radio, uh, Mr. Stalin, you're on the air. Talk to us. Hey, how's everybody doing? Hey, Mr. Stalin. Hey, y'all. Wonderful show up. Wonderful show, man. I'm learning a lot. I'm in and all, I'm in and out. I'm at another function, but I hope what I what I have to say hasn't already been said. If if it is, I'm being redundant. But uh, and Jay, this is a great show, and I love your guests. I'm learning a Thank lot. You. I don't know if anybody has injected this or not, but we talked about this on one of my shows as well. And I think both of you are starting to hit home with it when you said it, and you might have already made my point. Um, I've noticed that the media tends to love to show, and I'm speaking now of the of the police and the Black Lives Matter, they love to show this angry black young man or female uh, talking back to the police. And as you know, Jay, I was a police officer in Birmingham, in the city of Birmingham, for a number of years. I was a police officer. And I just wanted to admonish us as as responsible adults, not only to, to look for the police to make a change in, in the community, but we ourselves need to start educating our young people. And I started with my boys, telling them how do you act when the police pull you over. They need We need to stress to them. You cannot talk back to a police officer. I mean, good reason. In other words, you follow the protocol. You follow his commands. Then you go, and if you have a problem with the way he's handled you, you go to his supervisor. I had that happen to me. I was sitting in the back of a of a well-known a Starbucks, uh, drinking some coffee, and a guy walked up. Young guy walked up with a with a police officer and said, uh, "That's that's the car." 
<laughs> I looked and I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, it was a car that was in this neighborhood last night that, you know, had a, a burglary, and your car was in the lot. Somebody said, a, a, a vehicle fitting your car was in the lot. Well, I, I got a little upset at that because I'm not a thief. Um, I'm not perfect, but I'm not a thief. And so he, I, I made the mistake of saying, well, you're probably just saying this because of my color, because I was in a well, a, a well, a, a predominantly white area. And the cop got right up in my face. The police officer put his finger almost on my nose and, and said some things I didn't like. And I then knew what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to become combative, argumentative. I, I backed all the way down. I respected him. I got his information, and I went to his superiors. My point is I really think we need to educate the youth on how to deal with police officers. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. And I, I think that ties right into what we're talking about. Once again, how do we handle conflict? You know, how do we handle conflict? And we're taught that from what we see, what we see at home. And so what we have to understand that the next step after conflict is not always violence. It ought to be resolution. How do we resolve this? And that's what we have to get to, and that can only happen when it is taught. When we ourselves display a degree of control and temperance, and when we not only display it, but we actually demand it as well. And and that's and uh, like you said, starting at home, starting from the time they're born, saying to that child, which I've said to all of mine, you are not in control. You do not have authority. You do not have that type of power. But until you learn that you will always respect that power so that you can gain that power and become the adult with the control, you don't face that officer in any kind of manner except respect. Well, you know, it's it's beginning to be something that's a life-changing thing now. In other words, we're losing lives, not just youth, but, I mean, we're losing lives now. When I was growing up, it was a little different, but now I, I can understand it from the police officer's perspective at times. And but we definitely have to train our youth, like you said, ma'am, to respect the authority. They have to respect the authority. In the '60s, I grew up in Selma. The beatings that took place on camera at the bridge meant something to the world because those were peaceful demonstrations. And when the world saw people beating children and chasing them by horses back to the church, it tore into their hearts. And it's a little harder these days watching CNN, watching these, and they love to show that, you know, the riots and the, and the arguing, they love to show that. And that was my comment. I'm going to hang up and listen. I'm at another function, but great show. Thank you for letting me have an input, Jay. Also, if I could oh, add one so much. If, if I could add one comment to that, um, you guys have hit on some incredible points. Um, number one, just about uh, teaching how to interact with, with the police and, and things starting in the home. And those are all very critical things. And the other thing I would add, just for the sake of time, is that I, I think that the, the community needs to remember that this is your police department. Your tax dollars buy all the fancy cars, all the shiny badges, all the neat stuff. And so what I would encourage people to do is to not wait. For example, in Ferguson, there's an, a new acting chief there. That, that guy is not going to be able to make changes by himself. And, and I didn't mean to call him that guy, but the chief is not going to be able to make uh, changes by himself. And what I would encourage the community to do is to not wait for an invitation, but to become engaged in that, in that police department. 
uh, whatever that looks like, whether it's participating in ride-alongs, uh, find out when is the next civic associated meet, associated meeting. If they don't have one, start one. Um, you know, taking the bull by the horn and engaging your police department. Because at the end of the day, it's the citizens' tax dollars that fund the police department. And I think one of the reasons that there is a perception and some of the things historically have occurred is because it, you don't want to leave the impression that the community is not paying attention or they're not engaged or both in the, the schools, in the police, and, and other vital services that result in a vibrant community. And so I would just encourage everyone, if you're not engaged, to, to take a moment, even if you don't do anything, but do a ride-along with your police officers. You can get to meet some police officers, actually see some of the things that go on. Um, many agencies have citizen police academies that you can, that you can join. Many uh, agencies have civic groups that, that advise the chief and the district commanders and all those other things. And there's just a host of opportunities out there that I think that we should really participate in that I think would give everyone a different understanding or a better understanding of what law enforcement is and what it does. But the, the reverse thing is that it also puts a face of the community to the officers that are serving every day because some agencies are very busy. They handle three or 400 calls a, a, a shift, and so they don't necessarily get the opportunity to stop and say hi and find out that you have the same interests. You may even attend the same church. And so I just think we should never miss the opportunity to grab that low-hanging fruit as we look to, to make things better or maintain things in our, in our communities. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, believe it or not, we're actually hard to believe here. Matter of fact, for those of you that are listening by way of the Internet, uh, in about 10 seconds we're going to be disconnected. But we're at the end of the show, and I tell you, there's so much that have been learned today and, and so much that has been discussed. And I, I would like to uh, not only thank our, our very special guest, uh, Chief uh, Michael Blow, and, and our special guest co-host, uh, Dr. Uh, Douglas, and our I hope that we can uh, look at doing this again real soon. I would like to call it part two. Uh, wow, we covered a lot of things there. We've had great callers, and we've had full boards the entire time. And uh, hopefully we can get back together and do it again. Uh, we're, we're over our time even now, but I'd like to give an opportunity for closing remarks from both of you. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Douglas. Okay, I just wanted to say really quick, that we're going to be together again, and don't forget, because uh, we're going to talk about domestic violence and how the sniper, his whole incident bringing the crime around the country was resulting from domestic violence with he and his wife, Mildred Muhammad. So we're going to have special guest Mildred Muhammad and, and Chief Blow again, uh, Pastor Thickman, don't forget, uh, that's what, we're going to be back on the air talking about this continuing saga. And I believe that date is October 5th, is it? I'm not October sure 8th. off the top of my head. October 8th. October 8th. Well, we'll make you definitely aware of that. That will be on the Hit Back Blog Talk Radio uh, Network, and we'll make sure that we get that out to all of our listeners here on SOAR. Keith, closing comments. Oh, well, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I said in the beginning, I just hope that the, the incidents that have happened are, are actually – out of the tragedies that have occurred, that this is the beginning of some incredible opportunities for 
the, the community to sort of engage in various activities that are going on and uh, just really work hard at making things better because I think that that absolutely can occur. We have some incredible folks all over the country, and, and I don't see any reason why we can't, over time, uh, just really make things a lot better uh, for everyone. Thanks so very much. Very powerful, very informative. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to having you back again. For all of you that are listening tonight, uh, those of you that have joined us on the special Thursday edition of Hopi Healing, A Journey to Wholeness, thank you for you tuning in. And uh, definitely uh, the boards have been full, and your participation has been greatly appreciated. And uh, this very powerful information that you've heard. And I want you to join us on our regular schedule night, Monday night. It'll be Monday night, August 24th. We will be coming to you live then. 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central Time, 6 o'clock in the Pacific Time Zone, and wherever you may be around the country. Join us for Hope and Healing and Journey to Wholeness. And please be safe and remember, there is no excuse for domestic violence. And until next time, this is your host, J.R. Pickland, saying have a great evening. God bless. Mm-hmm.